One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk, and then he went with them in the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Angel. We can be seated. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh, my. Just take a deep breath and acknowledge the presence of God. He's good. He's with us. So, Holy Spirit, would you come now? Show us the Father. Show us his heart revealed to us through your Son, Jesus Christ, Father. And may we be with you now. We know you're ever-present, and yet we still say, come, speak. Illuminate our minds to the reality of Jesus today, we pray, Holy Spirit. In the strong name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah. Uh, welcome to Park Hill. If you're new or visiting, uh, my name's Evan Wickham. My wife, Sandy, and I have the privilege of leading this church. And we are in a series in the book of Acts for most of 2024. And today's text, which Angel just read, Acts 3, it's a story that revolves around a specific miracle, a healing event, okay? The divine physical healing of a man who was, quote, lame from birth in the NIV English. That's what it said in the NIV. Um, so this is the first miraculous healing story of the church, and this one event basically sparks a domino effect of events that goes all the way through chapters 3 and 4, uh, leading up to Peter and John standing on trial uh, and then preaching the gospel to the Jewish leaders of the day. And next Sunday morning, Tanika Wyatt, one of our leaders and pastors, she's going to actually unpack that teaching. She's going to preach on what Peter says when he's on trial next week. Um, and so it all flows, this domino effect. It flows from this one miraculous, instantaneous healing, okay? So if you're anything like me, or like most people today, uh, the question on everyone's mind right now after reading that is, does this stuff still happen? Like, does God still heal today? And is anybody with me with that question? I don't know where you were expecting this teaching to go, uh, but for, for me, the Acts 3 question, it raises, Acts 3 story, it raises, it raises these impulses in me. And I want to say right off the bat, I realize how tender and emotional and real this question is for several of you here in our church family 
who experience ongoing unwanted disabilities or degenerative illnesses in, in your loved ones, in you, and you've prayed for the miraculous through tears until your eyes ran dry and healing hasn't come. Okay? As someone with a huge passion for platforming and celebrating people with disabilities in the church, I realize what a tender question this is for so many of us. Like, God, do you still do the Jesus stuff today? Do you still heal? I preached on this topic, divine healing, back in 2020 in, in the summer as part of our Holy Spirit series. And when I announced back then that I'd be hitting on this topic, it stirred quite a bit of interest, as you can imagine, at the height of like, I don't know, a pandemic, you know, where getting sick was on everyone's minds. And some folks in our church at the time told me they were understandably concerned and a little hesitant to even show up for that teaching. Uh, and I'm so, first of all, I'm so glad I heard that. I'm so glad our church is the kind of church where healthy communication be expressed to leadership. I'm so glad I heard when there's concern. And that's the kind of mature, healthy church we want to be, where communication and fears and grief and sorrow can flow just as freely as like praise reports, right, of answered prayer, both. And one concerned individual in particular back then, uh, he sent me a very raw and honest email at that time, which this person has given me permission to share with you today. And uh, I asked for their concerns back then. I asked, what concerns you about a teaching on divine healing? And this person graciously gave me a beautiful email. I'm just going to read it, if that's okay. I'm going to read it. Uh, this person wanted me to read it too. I think it powerfully communicates the tremendous difficulty and tension of the conversation around miraculous healing. So remember, this is not just an email from an article I pulled. This is from right here in the room. So, hey, Evan, this topic is a bit of a trigger for me, and I apologize for that as I'm still working through this one. I'm not proud of it, but going from a once aspiring worship leader pastor to a chronically debilitated shipwreck tends to come with a bit of emotional turmoil. It has left me fighting the battle of my life to not only make sense of and retain my faith, but also to not grow bitter and resentful towards God. Chronic pain has a way of continually hemorrhaging feelings of abandonment and doubt that the mind can have a hard time fending off. And when God doesn't heal, after years of prayer from many pastors, elders, leaders, fellow believers, it can be devastating. Many years ago, he goes on, one of my best friends lost his dad to pancreatic cancer. His dad was heavily involved with his church, and for months, the church leaders and his family prayed for healing. When his dad wasn't healed, both him and his brother have wanted nothing to do with God ever since. And so, you wanted my concerns with a sermon on healing. Here they are, three things. Number one, that congregants may have a tendency to subconsciously turn their pursuit of God into a desperate pursuit for healing in their dire circumstances. This can potentially set themselves up for tragic disappointment and it's what ended my best friend's faith. And number two, concern. It's really tough for us to claim a personal relationship with God and not take this stuff personal. From my own experience dealing with the resulting feelings of neglect and embitterment when God doesn't heal, it's been soul crushing. Many layers to this and and being the product of an entitled and pampered generation in American culture doesn't help. And then number three, 
Lastly, the theological framework I was part of in the past inevitably made me feel like something was wrong with me. I was around believers that were claiming to, quote, pray people out of buildings and, quote, open wombs for the infertile. And here I was dealing with infertility and chronic ailments that only multiplied and worsened over time. How is a limited human being supposed to feel in such an environment? Uh, and then he says, so no pressure, pastor. <laughs> with a ha ha ha, just like you did. He wrote that out. Uh, he says, if he finishes, your acknowledgement of some of these tough realities goes such a long way. You don't turn a blind eye to it. You make space for it, which is huge in and of itself. One of the many reasons why we're so grateful for the wisdom leadership of Park Hill. So, and then best so-and-so signs off. That is what I call maturity. Okay? As your leaders in this church, we're beyond thankful for that maturity and openness and trust of so many precious people here just like this individual, who carry with them tremendous amount of longing and unfulfilled desire around this topic of miracles and healing and the transforming power of God we read in the scriptures about. And so I want to applaud the maturity of you, like in this church, including this email writer and you here sitting, people who in the face of excruciating loss keep asking, seeking, and knocking for the miraculous answers to prayer we see in scripture out of childlike obedience to the words of Jesus. Words like this from Jesus. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I applaud you, church, because you're still living, so many of you I know are still living into those words in the face of such complex suffering. That's called maturity. Uh, and, and, and it's hard. And there's no shame for not being there. Hear me. Uh, you are, but, but those, those of you actively resisting the temptation to be cynical because you've discovered that cynicism can't actually solve anything. Instead, you're listening to the words Paul wrote to Timothy like this, where Paul says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So many of you in this church <laughs> are holding on to that reminder. You're fanning into flame the gift of the Spirit. You're showing up for worship nights and prayer meetings and leaning into the unknown with childlike hunger. And there's timidity. And there's fear. And you're boldly practicing prayer and having people lay hands on you to pray for power and healing and, and just greater love and self-discipline in a broken world. And to you, I just say well done. Huge well done. And, and that is pursuing. You are pursuing precisely the kind of faith and spiritual hunger we see in Acts 3, in the story Angel just read. So you just heard it read. We read it together. Verse 1, Peter and John, they're, what are they doing? They're heading up to the temple for a normal prayer time. Normal church gathering. Uh, and, and verse 2 and 3, a man who was unable to walk from birth 
is sitting there asking for money because by the temple, people are feeling extra generous and religious, and so he's in the right place, right? And then verse 4 and 6, 4 through 6, it says Peter looks straight at him, gives him eye contact, person-to-person attention, which is what we all crave. And he says, you give me your eyes. And he looks, they both are looking intently. And then Peter extends to the man the power of God in the name of Jesus through faith in his name, okay? And then verse 7 through 10, you know the story. He gets up. The man starts jumping around praising God. The rest is history. The rest is Acts 3 and 4. One continuous story. And now the rest is history, right? 2,000 years and 8,000 miles away, here we are in San Diego, and this question is pressing on us. And so I ask it again. Does God still heal like this today? Of course, God heals in partnership with doctors and medical professionals. That is God healing too. Absolutely. But should we expect God to heal miraculously? And to answer this question, the first place we have to go is the scriptures. Why? Because for Jesus' followers, the scriptures are our ultimate authority on divine healing, not our own experiences. Right? So I've witnessed several healings, instant response to prayer healings firsthand, not a ton. Uh, I know many of you have experienced those as well. Uh, I've also seen way more unanswered prayers, way, way, way more unanswered prayers for healing, which, which, by the way, is all fine because the bottom line is I cannot ground my faith in my experiences of God alone, right? No one can. Don't get me wrong, experiences of God are important, but listen, faith in my own experiences will not help me in the NICU. Faith in my experiences did not help me when I did my first funeral, which was for the single mom of a girl in the youth group I led 20 years ago. This 13-year-old girl's mother got a spider bite that turned septic, and after we prayed for her healing, the spider bite went on to end her life and leave her daughter with almost no one in the world. So a 13-year-old girl was literally organizing her mother's funeral all by herself, and I had to stand up and preach on the power and love of God. And let me tell you, faith in my experiences could not help me in that moment. All I could stand on was the revelation of God in Jesus Christ through the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all I could stand on. And so I come to this topic the same way, divine healing. I come to this topic the same way, and my hope is that today we would all come to divine healing the same way. Because stories about healing experiences, genuine stories that are verifiable with documents and stuff, that's wonderful. They should be regularly celebrated in the church, I believe. Absolutely. In fact, one of the most well-known biblical scholars alive of our generation, uh, Craig Keener. He took it upon himself to write the definitive scholarly account of hundreds upon hundreds of medically confirmed inexplicable healings that happened in direct response to human prayer. And, and, it's, and he put it in the 1,100-page, two-volume work called Miracles, the Credibility of the New Testament Counts. So over 1,000 pages, <laughs> uh, came out in 2011. If you can't find the time to spend on the, highly recommend, if you can't find the time for these, he released a shorter book in 2016, 
with a bunch of new verified accounts called uh, Miracles Today. Um, it's funny. Can you put the slides back to the big ones? So these big books, you know, uh, they're used in PhD programs all over the Western world, these, these resources. And um, when, the, when, when um, uh, naturalist atheists started reviewing these books, you know what the primary review was? The primary uh, thing that they were saying was not that the miracles didn't happen. They're like, okay, we see the miracles. We see what you're saying, but it doesn't mean it was your God. That was the critique. He's like, that's fine. That's not what I'm saying in the book. I'm just saying these things happen when they prayed to my God. <laughs> that's all I'm saying, which is amazing that that was, their, that was the one critique from uh, skeptics. Anyways, next slide. So this is a shorter one, highly recommend. He added more stories that poured in after the first books were published. So, okay, now take that off the screen because why did I just show you those books? Because stories about miraculous healings are true and beautiful and uplifting. But ultimately followers of Jesus are people who ground their faith not in verified stories of healings but in the triune God revealed in Jesus through the scriptures. And then we see that that same Jesus commands us to follow him by the power of the Spirit who brings gifts of divine healing to his people. You see how that works. So the more I look at scripture, the more convinced I am that emphatically, yes. I love someone in the front row has been saying yes this whole time. You beat me to it. Emphatically, yes, we should expect and celebrate divine healing in our time. And I know right now, uh, many of you are here like, oh gosh, I want it to be true. Like I wanna see it. And you're thinking even, why don't I see this kind and this kind? And you're like defining the kinds that you would validate. And that's totally natural. And, and, but you're like, ultimately, I, I would love that to be true. Well, if that's what you want, then I have good news for you. Jesus invites you to reshape your worldview around himself and his scriptures to see the reality of God's kingdom and the healing power it brings. So that's what we're going to do. A quick crash course on healing in the Bible. So here we go. Early in the Old Testament, you know the story of Exodus, Moses, let my people go. Well, as soon as the people are let go, God meets them in the desert and he says this. If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. So from the beginning stories of the Bible, we discover it's in God's very own character to heal. It's his name. One of his names, he gives himself, Yahweh Rapha, the Lord who heals. This is who he is, right? So then, depending on how you count, there's one to two dozen healing stories in the Old Testament. How many of you are surprised uh, how low that number is? I was like, there's only a couple dozen. I feel like Old Testament's really thick. It's big. But yeah, there's only like 12, 20-ish, 12 to 21, depending on how you count, healing stories in the Old Testament. But when you get to the New Testament, that number goes through the roof. About 38% of the verses in the Gospels are stories of Jesus healing people. 
And when Jesus steps on the scene and he like comes out as Messiah and drops the bomb on everybody, he quotes Isaiah the prophet in reference to himself and he says this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, okay? He sent me to proclaim freedom, there's preaching, and recovery of sight for the blind. That's not preaching, that's demonstration of power. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says, Today, this is here. This is true now. So Jesus is announcing he's bringing that. The hope of Israel has come. And just in case we're tempted to turn healing here into like some metaphor for like inner healing or something, or maybe he means healing sight to the blind, but he really means we're more forgiving people. It's a spiritual thing. In, in case we're tempted to do that, look at the next part of the chapter. Right after this, it says, Then Jesus left the synagogue, went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her, rebuked the fever, it left her. She got up at once, began to wait on him. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. For Jesus, divine healing and gospel preaching are integrated. They go hand in hand. You can't read the gospels without seeing that connection. Healing was part of the normal activity of the kingdom. And if you're like me, <laughs> you're tempted to be like, yeah, I get it. Jesus could heal, but he's like God, right? Uh, yes, he's uniquely God, 100%. But listen, this is the thing to understand in a teaching like this, a major thing for Jesus followers to wrap our minds around. It's so important that we don't just read Jesus' healing stories and think, oh, Jesus could heal because he was God and he's not really a fully human being who had to trust God like we do. No, that's actually the heresy of Docetism, which was an ancient idea that Jesus was really, really just God, not a fully human in every way that we are. And the church condemned that idea way early on because they realized that's just not how the Gospels work. That's just not what they're showing us. Yes, Jesus was, is, and always will be 100% God uniquely. But listen, that's not just why he had the power to heal. Jesus had the power to heal because he was also the perfectly spirit-filled human in submission to the Father. Jesus said it himself this way, very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. And then John 8, he says it very clearly. I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. It's so important to realize, you guys, Jesus has the power to heal. Not only because Jesus is God, even though he 100% is, never let go of that. Uniquely, Jesus is God. But Jesus has power to heal because he was the perfectly spirit-filled human in submission to his Father. And my friends, so you guys, the best way to read the healing stories in the Gospels and in Acts, remember Luke and Acts are part one, part two of the same story. The best, read, the best way to read the healing stories is as signs of the inbreaking kingdom of God. It's like you see a healing in the story, like this is what the kingdom looks like. Remember, we believe the kingdom is here. 
The kingdom is here. It looks like people who were blind and now see. It looks like people who had fevers who are now serving others. It looks like someone who is paralyzed and full of shame who is now forgiven and physically free. It looks like a man stretching out a hand that's no longer withered while symptoms of injustice around him lose their grip on him too. It looks like the reversal of chronic pain and the reversal of chronic shame. It looks like people dying of cancer who are now living a long, healthy life in addition to forgiven sin, people treated equally, enemies becoming family and deep, vulnerable community. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So you might be like, okay, okay, okay. Jesus could heal that like that, but he's like Jesus still. He's still Jesus. And, but here's the amazing part that Jesus does. Yes, he's Jesus, of course. But he specifically appoints his apostles to go and do all the same stuff. Look in Matthew 10 right here. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. So heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And it's like, yeah, but that was the 12 disciples. They were special. Uh, but it wasn't just the 12. Jesus expanded it out to the 72. He's talking to 72 now, men and women together. And he's like, when you enter a town and are welcome, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. And then the 72, they come back from this like Jesus field trip. And, and, and look what they say. They're like, Lord, even the demons, are, they're responding when we speak in your name. They're submitting on your authority when we speak. And some of you right now might be like, okay, yeah, but those people were sent by Jesus personally. Like, like he actually personally sent them. Uh, they probably got special powers or gifts that they could see or something. And, but listen, Jesus didn't stop at 12. He didn't stop at 72. The story ends in Matthew, the end of Jesus' life, he expects all his disciples to do the same. At the end of his life on earth, his time, he said this, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Notice it doesn't say everything except, of course, the healing part. And when we look at the early church and the rest of the New Testament, you guys, that's exactly what they did. This is exactly what the church carried forward. Divine healing flowed out of their life in the Holy Spirit. The church preaches and teaches, and they heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. This is happening. And Acts 3 is the first pinpoint of light that affects dominoes of deliverance. The first church didn't just talk about this stuff, like preach it in a beautiful building. They actually did it. And, and this is clear in the letters that Paul and James write to the church uh, that they didn't think healing was something just apostles do. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that miraculous healing was just for a certain time of history. I want to say that again because I think it's important. Nowhere does the Bible say that miraculous healing was just for a certain time of history. In fact, according to how Jesus used the Bible, he seemed to think that healing is one of the signs that God's kingdom is coming to the world. And this is what the book of Acts tells us, the day of the Lord is here. Rethink everything and believe in this news. 
So if we believe in God's kingdom activity, then we should expect God to keep doing stuff, uh, continue to miraculously heal physically even today. And in fact, 1 Corinthians 12, Paul commands us to, quote, eagerly desire these gifts, which includes healing. Look at this. Uh, check it out. He says, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Notice he doesn't next say, nope. He, he's, he, he, it's like this... It's like this and, yes, and situation where he says, now, here's, here's what it is, crave it. Long for it. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. Ultimately, for love of neighbor and love of God, follow the way of love and crave this stuff, my friends. You guys, this is a powerful verse to think about during Lent, especially. Last week was Ash Wednesday, when we wore ashes on our foreheads as if to say, God, there's so much about us that is not healed. And we crave it. We're coming out of our skin. We're having nightmares and daydreams, longing for healing but we're facing our own death every day and things that feel like they're gonna kill us every day. Craving the healing presence of God and to end my own brokenness and the brokenness of the world, which is so apparent. This is the longing of Lent. Paul calls it eager desire. Eager desire. God, we eagerly desire the powerful gifts that your Holy Spirit brings. And the way we talk about this, if you've been around Park Hill for very long, it's not only our language, it's a guy named George Eldon Ladd, a theologian from the last hundred years, really helped the church think this through. It's the language of the kingdom is now and not yet, both. It's fully now and fully not yet, which makes a not fully feeling. <laughs> it's very tense. And, and it's, I just want to acknowledge this right now. Many of us are all too familiar with that really on the, that not yet side, right? That not yet feels, we don't need to be reminded. We don't need to be reminded. And not just regarding sickness and wanting to be healed, but like, Lord God, I'm so lonely. I know I'm supposed to find family and belonging in the church now, but it's really been feeling more like a not yet. I'm just lonely. I want to say I acknowledge you. I thank, thank you for being here. I'm glad you're here. Or maybe you're like, Jesus, you say you reconcile. Your kingdom is all about reconciling, but man, my family's in shambles, and I do not see a way forward. This, this sure feels like all not yet. And I acknowledge that. We name our pain and our brokenness and our broken dreams. We resonate with this because, let's face it, we're familiar with that. We're familiar. We, we don't need very many reminders that the kingdom is not yet. We know that well. What we do need reminders of over and over again 
is that the kingdom is also here. The day of the Lord has come. The kingdom is now. That's what, that's what this day is all about. The day of the Lord has come. All healing needs to be understood inside the now and not yet. For Jesus, the kingdom of God is both reality now and a reality that's yet to come. This is the key to understanding not just healing, but everything else about God's plan to save through Jesus. I'll just be honest. In me, there's a strong temptation to turn that and into a but. Like instead of the kingdom is both now and not yet, I want to say this. Yeah, the kingdom is now, but not yet. Big difference. We gotta fight for that and. Maybe it's because of your experiences or, or bad theology or maybe it's because of something I picked up, a secular worldview, whatever it is, we're constantly tempted to say, yes, the kingdom is here, but I just don't wanna be duped. Or but, I just don't want my heart broken again. But I'm, I just don't wanna be burned by another religious experience. Yeah, the kingdom is here, but I prayed and prayed and prayed and the pain just doubled down. Absolutely valid. Yes, Jesus and the scriptures and the season of Lent say yes to that. Our, our groaning is validated. Romans 8 says, because we groan inwardly as we await eagerly the redemption of our bodies. Yes, yes, and. And the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Rethink everything and trust in this good news, to quote Jesus. That is the invitation today, to rethink everything in light of Jesus' inbreaking kingdom of power and to grow in childlike trust. It's, it's okay to grieve and weep and send concerned emails. Please, let this church be the church where this happens and eagerly desire. So, how many of you have heard the name John Wimber? John Wimber? Yeah, a bunch, a bunch of folks. Let's go, Ryan. Um, so in, in, in my experience, John Wimber, okay, if you step into a church that's even remotely Pentecostal, you can't go five steps without hearing this guy's name, John Wimber. He was a man God used powerfully in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to lead a good chunk of the charismatic renewal that was birthed out of the Jesus movement. And ultimately, his influence gave rise to now the Vineyard Church all over the world. And that movement spread across large parts of Europe, Canada, South Africa, beyond. And it was really, you know what he was about? It was really about refocusing on doing the Jesus stuff by the Spirit's power. Like in childlike faith, try. Faith equals try was something he would say. And he helped huge chunks of even the Anglican church to like rediscover ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I highly recommend John Wimber's book, Power Healing. We had it on our book table for a while. If you want to jot that down, it's so, so good. Power Healing. Because this guy's ministry, John Wimber, his ministry was full of miraculous demonstration of power. It was like a wake everywhere he went. Um, but get this. Wimber was a walking billboard for the now and not yet. Why? I mean, he died of cancer. God healed hundreds of people through physical touch, his hand on their wounds, while he himself was dying of an inoperable tumor that ultimately took his life. He was literally a wounded healer. His body was this huge blinking neon sign 
for the now and the and and the not yet. You see that? I think this is what enabled him to say things like this. The real gift is salvation, eternal life, and all the things that Jesus gives us. If we're healed physically in this life, it's a bonus. Good words. It's because the kingdom is a now and a not yet reality, both. We want to make that a now but not yet. we got to fight for that and. So to wrap up, we're going to come to communion where we are healed by the stripes of Christ both sin and shame and physical, both now and not yet. So let's put this verse back up as we finish. So you see that, eagerly desire two times. I just want to ask, let's take a moment to be honest in the presence of each other and the Holy Spirit. Honestly, like, and I'm preaching to myself hardcore right now, Would you say that you eagerly desire gifts of healing? Like, do you practice and pray for healing regularly? Or or are you more like, yeah, healing would be great. I'm open to it. Uh, There's a big difference, I want to say, there's a big difference between eagerly desiring something and just being open to something. Like, I eagerly desire to be with my wife. What if she's like, hey, you wanna do date night this Thursday? It's our date night. What do you think about a date night? I'd be like, I'm open to it. (laughs) I don't know how that would go, necessarily. I don't know, wouldn't fly. But I've met a lot of Christians, me included, who most of the time, we're open to divine healing. But I've only met a few who I would say are actively, eagerly desiring divine healing gifts by practicing toward them. And honestly, again, I'm growing in this too. So this morning, I'm going to open up the room for just two calls to prayer. And we're going to have people on the right and left like we often do just to pray for you. Two calls to prayer before we eat and drink the bread and the cup. Number one, pray for healing. Physical healing, just ask. Whatever it is, you don't have to be specific at all. You just say, pray for my healing. You can be specific as you want. These leaders up here are trusted. And prayer call number two, pray for the faith to be healed. For some of us, that's, that's the invitation. That's it, that's all God's inviting you into. Maybe not to be healed today, but just the faith to even return to this topic, you know. Um, and, and, I, and I realize, again, that a conversation such as this can be like, can be like for many of us, salt on a wound. And, um, and I just want to say that. I just want to name that and say that that's real. At the same time, um, we have the writer of Matthew, Gospel of Matthew. After Jesus healed three people in Matthew 8, he says, this is why it was quoted by Isaiah the prophet, by his wounds we are healed. We often use that verse in terms of forgiveness of sin, which is true too. But the author of Matthew used it in the context of people being physically restored. By his stripes, by his, Jesus' wounds, we are healed. It's amazing what the Bible is calling us into. But some of us, 
We're just called to just step forward in faith, just to even return to this conversation. And for you, welcome. Like, let this place be the place of safe family trust where you can come forward and be as specific or general as you like as we pray for you. So can we just eagerly desire to make that shift? Eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. These gifts are available because Jesus died for our sins. His body was striped with wounding, and he rose from the dead, and he ascended on high to give gifts to his people. And so life in the Spirit means learning to receive the gift of God's presence in our lives. So we're going to come to the table at the end, but first let's come to just ask and seek trust that Jesus is the source of divine healing that we need. So I'm going to pray for us. Can I pray for us? Holy Spirit, would you come? You know everyone in this room. I just confess my finitude. I'm, I'm actually hyper aware of my limitedness right now and my finitude. I'm not infinite. I'm quite the opposite. I need you, Jesus, as a, as a preacher. I need you to do the work of the shepherd now. We all do. So... We trust that you're good. We know that your desires for us are good. Help us to trust that now. Help us to trust you. Not based on some amazing miracle story, but based on your heart, your character. You're a better father than the best of us could ever hope to be. You're a better parent. You're a better pastor. You're a better counselor. You're a better physician. You're a better savior. Better mediator. So come. Lead us to your son Jesus now, Holy Spirit. Yeah, so I'd invite any community leaders or pastors to come up front on the right and on the left. And we have some time. We're just going to invite any of you forward just to receive prayer for healing or faith for healing. Either way, either way, come. God is good and he's present.